0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Amazing. Hello, my name is Tim Benitez, and it is an honor to be able to bring the word today. Um, all weekend, I've been hanging out with your students for Emerge Conference. How are our students doing this morning? Yes. I love it. Hey, really quickly, we'll, we'll, we'll show them something that we did all weekend. Really quick. Hands ready. Let's go. They probably, they actually know the person we're referencing. When I say they, I'm sorry. I'm addressing the older individuals in the room. I will address everyone in one second, but let's show them how we do this. Okay. Real quick. Let me get two claps in a Ric Flair. All right. So. Parents, you may know who Ric Flair is. Has nothing to do with anything we're talking about today. That man just had some crazy swag. And so I uh, wanted to make sure that we're teaching our students in the way of the Lord, not Ric Flair. So um, got to make sure that they, they know what's up. But really quickly, uh, I love to have a good time in church. Um, my life was absolutely changed at a weekend like Emerge conference. And so uh, I learned at an early age it's okay to be fully me, be fully weird, embrace it. Because the realities are the weird things that I think are weird are actually God-given gifts and abilities and talents that he wants to use to point others to him. And so that's some of what we talked about this weekend. I am from sunny South Florida. I am... uh, 31 years old, which is pretty awesome. I'm loving it. Uh, I feel like the keys of life are finally like just making sense. But most importantly in the next 12 days I will be getting married. Yes. <laughs> Mary, her name is Gabby. Uh, I forgot to show a picture this weekend. Uh, Where is she? Oh, there she is. She didn't want me to show that particular photo, so I'm definitely going to get in trouble because, of course, we do it on Sunday live stream. But um, this was the photo. That was the day I knew I fell in love with her. We were at Disney World, and I said, Lord, uh, take all the magic out of this. It's this girl who I'm supposed to be with, and honestly, it's been the greatest blessing. But pray for your brother because I'm nervous. We got 12 days, and there's a lot of things to knock off. Off the to do list, but um, she allowed me to come out here and bring the word, and it's a joy to be able to do so. Um, something before we move any further, I just wanna commend all the parents in the room uh, for teaching your students how to give a firm handshake. I'm pretty sure that my hand was almost broken five times this weekend. Um, I'm going up to like sixth graders, like, what's up, man? And they're like, how you doing? Ah. I'm just like, <laughs> my, my hand hurts now. This is great. <laughs> And then I'll go up to a young lady, I'm like, how are you? She's like, good, how are you? I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going on? What's in the water over in Monroe? And so, uh, has nothing to do with my message as well. Just wanted to give you kudos, because holy moly, my hand is still sore. But um, I want to honor Pastor Bill and Pastor Stephen for bringing me in and giving me the opportunity to do this. Um, There's nothing more that I love than speaking about God. Because he changed me. And so my, my hope and desire today is that you would leave here uh, encouraged. That you leave here knowing that you have God who is on your side. He is for you. And that no matter what struggles you're, you're walking through, no matter what season you are in in your life, that you have the ability uh, to say that you've made it. And you only make it when you meet with him. And that's what we'll be discussing today. So the title of my message is I've made it when I've met him. Somebody say I've made it. Okay, that was somebody, but we we could get louder. Everybody say, I've made it. When I've met him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the baptisms that we celebrated. But more importantly, we thank you that we can come into one room as one body of believers and put our attention and our focus on you. Holy Spirit, would you uh, move to and fro throughout this room? Uh, Speak to hearts. Lord, I pray that you chip away at maybe some walls or some, some discouragements that we've been walking through and that we would leave here knowing that uh, you're on our side. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and we all said, amen. In 2004, in Athens, Greece, there was the Olympics, and uh, I'm kind of a nerd. I I love jumping on YouTube. Uh, I call it YouTube University because I'm constantly on YouTube just learning different things. I'm the guy that's going to randomly tell you some random fact about some random thing and say, Tim, why do you know this? And I say, I don't know, but it's there, and so I needed to share it. And so I'm watching the Olympics. I was particularly watching this. uh, It was a prone shooter. His name is Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons was known to be one of the best rifle-prone shooters to ever walk the face of the planet. What is this? He essentially is picking up what looks like an airsoft rifle, and he's shooting across an entire field, and Matt Emmons knows how to hit a bullseye like nobody else. They said that he was the uh, favorite to get the gold in any category, any event that he would be in. Funny enough, uh, during this Olympics, Matt Emmons... uh, rifle that he has, which if, if you know anything about rifles or if you, if you shoot yourself, you know that y- your rifle is an extension of you. And so it's a very personal thing. His rifle was sabotaged. Somebody else was able to loan him one, and he's still doing incredible through all these events, and he finally gets to the event that he's known for doing the best at. He sets up, and all he has to do is hit his target. Simple shot, doesn't need a bullseye, doesn't even need a high score, just needs to hit his target. He sets up, and the crowd gets quiet, and you hear the shot go, and as it hits the target, half of the room screams, and the other half, it just gasps in disbelief. Matt Emmons hit a perfect bullseye, but on the wrong target. He actually hit the target right to the side of his lane. And he goes from first place to eighth place in a matter of a second. He stands there in disbelief. I had a hard time picking which photo I wanted to use of him. I started to feel bad because I was just like, man, I feel this. He's just staring at the gun. I'm like, no, you did it, (laughs) brother. He goes from first to eighth. And as I'm, as I watched that and as I was preparing for this message, I realized that we run the risk of doing the same thing. Not with a prone rifle, but with our lives especially our spiritual lives. we run the risk of thinking that we are doing exactly what we should. We are experts at what we do. We are excellent at what we do. But what if we got all the way to the finale of our life and we set up for the shot, we set up for this thing that we think we're supposed to do incredibly and we hit the wrong target? The Bible likens this idea to us running our race. So my question to you is, what if you get to the end of the race and found out you were on the wrong track? You found out you were in the wrong arena that you got cheered for, and if people were like, "Ooh, look at you! You are killing it!" and you get across the finish line to find out that what you ran for and what you were doing had nothing to do with what God actually had for you. That's terrifying. And it's the same thing that we can find ourselves if we are not careful, if we are not paying attention to what God is desiring from us. We talked about it all weekend, right, students? We talked about brand you. Each of us represents something. And so you have to ask yourself, if somebody was looking at you and and they were asked a question, what is that person about? If we made a commercial about them, what would we market? What would they answer? Would it be about your family? Would it be about your wealth? Would it be about the things that you've accomplished in life? Or would it be about how you were doing the things that God called you to do? Now, what is that? I, we were talking to students all weekend. You don't have to be a preacher like me. You don't have to be called into full-time ministry, but whatever it is that you find that your skills are, do it unto the Lord because he's gonna use you wherever that is. It's what's needed in the world. We need Christian leaders in all areas. And so how do we run this race? We all have a desire internally to be able to say, I've made it, that I'm successful, that I've done it, I've arrived. For some of us, that comes in the way of how much money we've made. We get validation because our bank account has a certain amount of zeros. And if you want to help me with that, meet me after service. (laughs) For some of us, validation comes from being respected. It comes from accomplishing major accolades. It comes from owning our own business or owning property or having a certain amount of, of, of just uh, assets that we are able to say, yes, I, I got it going on. And we may not brag about it, but internally, we're talking about the internal voice, your flesh, man, the part of you that you know that if you everyone really saw it, you wouldn't be too proud of, but you allow your flesh to, to be proud of these things. For some of us, Saying I've made it would be when I get married. Come on, somebody. It could be when I have a family or becoming a a boss at your job. To say I've made it. Notice that a lot of what I shared wasn't things that are, are negative. For some of our students, saying I've made it might be feeling, hey, when I get that scholarship, when that team recruits me, then I've made it. All good things, but not God things. See, truth is, none of these things are bad to pursue. Most of them are actually honorable. But the Lord is looking for someone to to crave him. That if we're not careful, we could find ourselves striving and pursuing all these other things, trying to satisfy an internal voice that only the Lord can satisfy. What is it that you need satisfied in your life today? Is it validation? Or is it a place to belong? (laughs) Is it rest? I love football. And one of my favorite quarterbacks uh, who just recently retired, you may love him, you may hate him, but there is no debate in that this man has seven Super Bowl rings. His name is Tom Brady. And... um, He's starting to annoy me a little, if I'm honest, but it's okay. I don't really know him, so whenever we meet, I'm sure it'll be great. See that? I believe it in faith. Tom Brady, after winning all these Super Bowls, I saw in an interview that he was quoted. They asked him, hey, you've done so much. What else is there? Like, you must must feel like on top of the world. Like, no other man has this many Super Bowls the way you did it. How how are you feeling? And his quote was, gosh, because Tom Brady would say, gosh gosh, is this it? There's got to be something more. This weekend, we talked about Warren Buffett for a brief second, and I was wrong with how much he actually has uh, as far as his wealth goes. I said it was in the 80s. I told you that I I was probably wrong. I double-checked it. Warren Buffett, top 10 wealthiest man on the planet worth over $105.2 billion. What a B, let's capitalize it, capital B, At a shareholder's meeting when a 30-year-old asked him on advice on how to be happy, the 30-year-old said, is it to make a lot of money? Warren Buffett's response to him was, no, that's definitely not it. You've seen it in your own lives. I've seen it in my life. I was blessed to grow up on the edge of a really affluent area, but I'd see it in my friends. I'd see it in my friend's parents, people who seemed to have everything that I wanted, but you could tell that there was a restlessness inside of them because there was something more that they wanted. That they needed, that what they had wasn't actually satisfying them, that my friend, uh, his dad, I remember he traded in the Maserati for the Ferrari, and I was like, the Ferrari? The Maserati was beautiful. When is he driving me to school? Because I, he likes me more than you. but. I'm seeing his dad go through this. And then I'm also seeing on the other end of the spectrum, my friends who are desiring to have those things that have all the other things that my friends with money don't have, but still they're longing for something more. So on both ends of the spectrum, we have people desiring something more and we have a God desiring to satisfy. And so this is the truth. We'll look for things to satisfy us in every other place but none of them will, because only he can satisfy. In the Word of God, we see Saul turn to Paul. Paul, who has now written the majority of the New Testament books. I want to tell you about him, but I want to talk to you about him when he was still Saul. See, Saul, he was early in his life. He was marked by a lot of things. He grew up as an affluent man. He grew up with parents who were allowing him to go to the top schools and get the top education to the point that he became a part of the the upper echelon of the Pharisees. So he's respected, he has education, he has wealth, he also has dual citizenship so he can go into multiple countries and he's respected like a whole other tier of a citizen. Paul, which at the time Saul, had it going on. To the point that he thinks that he is going to start doing things on behalf of God and what are those things? He persecutes the church, he persecutes Christians, he persecutes followers of the way. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it states this, that he began destroying the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them into prison. Saul thought that he had made it, that he was doing what would make God proud. He was accepted and feared by society because of the power that he was afforded. Saul had real power. He wasn't showing up to people's houses and dragging them out and bringing them to the police. No, Saul was just taking a pen and putting it to parchment paper and saying, I need you to go here because there's some Christians over here and take care of them, dot, 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 signed, Saul. That's the kind of power he was working with. And yet we find him a few chapters later in the book of Acts chapter 9, and he is on a famous road. we've heard of it, the road to Damascus. it's where he has this transformation moment. And so Saul is on his way to take prisoners of those who follow Jesus, and he has an encounter with God himself. Bright light shines in his face, He falls off of his horse, and a voice comes from this light, and this is what said, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" He replied, "Who are you, Lord?" Jesus answered directly and clearly, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so now we see a transformation happen in his life. He gets instructions, he follows them, he's obedient, scales fall from his eyes, but he also is transformed on the inside. And we watch Saul go from persecuting the church to now Saul is Paul. Saul turns to Paul and he starts planting churches all over Macedonia. He starts sending and going on missionary trips to help the church, the church that we are now in. He's beginning that after he has now been persecuting people. He goes from what scholars believe to be one of the top uh, terrorists, religious terrorists of our time, to now he is the person who is writing the books that would be the ones that we read today in the Word. It's a huge transformation. It's enormous, completely changes his perspective, his mindset, his goals, his passions. And what it made me wonder is who is this Jesus that Saul has now run into, that has now transformed him? Who in this moment is what Saul needed to become Paul? Who is this that he's running into? Who is this Jesus? And the first thing that I've found is that this is Jesus is our validation which we've talked about. How is he our validation? Well, (laughs) to validate is to give an official sanction, a confirmation or approval to it. So ask yourself at this moment, what makes you feel like you have validation? What is it? Like genuinely ask yourself. Is it words of affirmation from others? Is it the high five in the hallway? What is it for you? Well, this is how he validates you in his word. Genesis 1.27 says that you were made in his image. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he delights in you. It says actually this, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. His love will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. Romans 8.31 says, God is not for you. He, God is for you. Let's get that right. God 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 is for you. God is for you. God is for you. He is not against you. Sound like a broken, scratch CD. And all the students were like, what's a CD? <laughs> you were bought with a price. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, so before you could even get anything together, he made the decision for you, that he validates you, that he loves you. Here's the second thing. Jesus is our place of belonging. Growing up in uh, middle school and high school, I, I, I really just wanted a place to belong. I think it's what most of us want. But for me, I always wanted to belong to something that was much bigger than me. So I joined football and I was on the football team for a few years. I'm going to just share this fun fact because it seems to be astonishing everyone here in Louisiana because y'all have big boys playing football and I'm a little guy. And so I'm 5'8, living great, don't hate, but it's okay. And so I played right guard on offense. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. What's wrong with my coaches? I was just a slow, slow fullback. So they said, right guard. I wanted to be a part of things that were bigger than me. So after football, everyone kept growing, and I stopped. I said, okay, I'm going to Drumline. I went to Drumline, actually won a state championship. Somebody say amen. Yes. Yes. We don't get my validation from there. I just kept joining different teams wanting to be a part of something, but the one thing that was consistent throughout middle school, high school, college, and even beyond has been being a part of the family of God. And that sounds cheesy, but let me let you know something. It's the greatest thing I've ever joined. It's the greatest thing I ever said yes to was saying yes to Jesus because he said, hey, Tim, I see you. Hey, I know you sit in this row and I know that you have these talents in you. And I know that everyone keeps telling you you talk too much and you use your hands too much and you definitely have ADHD. But I made you in my image. And so I choose you. You belong on my team. And I don't know what your insecurities are. I don't know what your weird tics are. I don't know what your gifts and talents are. But God says, hey, you're on my team if you want to be. I dreaded being picked when we were, all right, who's captains for picking a team in, in basketball at school? I hated that stuff because I was like, I'm five eight and I'm a slow guy. There's no way. God says, hey, I pick you first and I'll actually leave the 99 to come find you if you get lost. It's basic scripture, but it's not the scripture that we always identify and have tattooed on our heart. And so we grow up in Sunday school and we grow up getting all these cool little tracks and we see it on our posters and in our crew neck t-shirts and all this nice stuff, but is it written on your heart? Do you actually feel like you have a place to belong at night when you're wondering about all the things that are plaguing your mind and no one knows, not even your husband, not even your wife, not even your kids? that you don't feel like you belong. Well, let me let you know something. The word tells us that we are not of this earth, that this is not where we actually belong. We belong a part of something else. And so if you feel like you don't belong here, good. None of us should, but when we're together and we focus on the presence of God, that's where we belong. I'm passionate about this stuff because I grew up seeing people that weren't and I thought that this was a dead thing. But the moment that I realized that that if I put some physical energy towards the things that are spiritual, the same way I'm trying to do it in football, the same way I'm trying to do it in all these other areas, let me try my hardest here too. And when I did, did God meet me, man? Oh yeah, he did. He gave me a seat at the table. Ephesians 2, 6, we read that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Lastly, this, Jesus is our rest. There's no more striving, nothing else to worry about. What are we getting rest from? From everything you're battling with. Whether it's your thoughts, he gives you rest from, if you're dealing with an illness, it's something you've been walking with your whole life, he gives you rest from those things. He wants to give you rest. He is the great shepherd that lays us down in green pastures. Here's what it says in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, 33 through 34. <laughs> I used to love preaching this scripture, but it's just kind of in the last few months uh, taking on a new life for me. So above all, Constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Let me let you know, I get married in 12 days, (laughs) y'all. And I'm a little nervous. Yeah, no, you can clap. I'm not like clapping. We we move past that. If y'all want to help me with some of the to-do list stuff, that would be amazing. I need a DJ. I need a photographer for the second night. I need a lot of little things. And I find myself context switching at every moment in my life right now. Why? Because I get married in 12 days. And then in a month and a half, we're moving to Roswell, Georgia. Come on, somebody. And then uh, we're starting new jobs together at a church plant. All great things. But it's a lot. I find myself tired at times. I find myself kind of like lashing out of like, just not having one of my, like, either my love tank filled or my food tank filled or my sleep tank filled. And so I'm out here just irritable looking like a commercial for some kind of like, Prozac or something. It's Like, do you look like this guy? Take this. It's like, I didn't sign up for this commercial. Why am I sharing that? Because when I read the scripture and I came back, if we read the scriptures before it, he's he's letting us know, hey, uh, what you eat, what you got, I got it, Uh, your clothes, which I haven't thought about my clothes more than ever. I'm like getting suits pinned up and all this. I'm like, oh my gosh, your clothes, don't worry about that. Uh, Anything that's like coming your way, like daily stuff, I know it like really gets you caught up. I know you got homework to worry about. I know you're wondering, are you going to get the scholarship? I know you're tired about everyone asking you, so what are you going to do when you graduate? I don't know. I don't even know where I'm eating tomorrow. Whatever it is, he says, "Um, don't worry about it. Seek me first and I'll I'll take care of all that. Spend time with me first and, and you'll get the things you're actually looking for. And then the rest is just icing on the cake. The Lord wants to be your rest. He doesn't want your drink at night to be your rest. He doesn't want that joint. He doesn't want whatever it is that you're finding. He doesn't want the Netflix episode to be your rest because honestly, those things stress me out. I don't know how you get not rest watching these shows. The Lord can be your rest. How do we do it? It's a simple two-step action. Everyone say "Two Two steps. Oh okay but say it like me real quick two steps. Two steps. Thank you. Appreciate that. First step is this, grow in community. Okay? You did, took the first step. You showed up on a Sunday, but have you said hello to who's down your row? Or did you just walk from the car straight from the car straight to your row? Cuz it's really easy just to, you know, just Hey hello, good morning. Yes. Same person I said good morning to the last eight weeks, but I don't know their name. And they wear a name tag. Good morning. (laughs) Growing community. All weekend, we talk to students about why it's important that we're just real about what we're going through. Because at some point or another, whatever's inside is going to bubble over. When pressure of life and seasons come and it squeezes us, something's going to come out. And so why not be in a community where you can be real honest and share and it's centered around the one thing that can actually help, Jesus. So we grow in community. And secondly, we pursue God. But what are we pursuing with him? We're pursuing intimacy with him. We're not pursuing, hey, let me just check off that I got like my 12th streak on my Bible lab. Let's go. No, but saying, hey, Lord, I want to meet with you. Last night I couldn't fall asleep, God, and I was up until three and all, here's, here's, here's what I'm going through and what does your word have to say about it? He wants to spend time with you. And so we find Paul at the end of his life and most consider this to be his last words because yeah, at this point he's accomplished so much, he's done good, he's done bad, and this is his, one of his last letters that he says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, you take over, I'm about to die. My life an offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way, and that all that's left now is the shouting of God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. And so Paul says, I've done it all. I had a lot, I had a little. I, I, I had the power and I was imprisoned. But the best thing that I did throughout all my life was know Jesus. If I could have the worship team come on out. He says, the best thing that I've done all my life was meet with him. Because I made it when I met him. And the beauty of that is that we have the ability to meet with Jesus each day. We have the ability to say, I've made it every day, no matter how you feel, no matter if you've just been terminated from your job, no matter if you just lost a loved one. You have the ability to say, you know what, I made it because I have the one thing that so many are walking through this earth searching for, and it's a relationship with the living God the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who who actually designed physics, the one who we have so many questions about and we don't even have all the answers, but man, do I know that he is real. Got an amen from a baby. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You know you're preaching good. He said, I did all this, but the best thing I could have ever done, the best thing that I did do is meet with Jesus. And I'll close with this story. Uh, I told the students this weekend, uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to move back home. Uh, 2018 was a crazy year for me. But uh, the Lord said, hey, I'm sending you home. And I was like, you going to buy me a house here in Atlanta? And he's like, no, I'm sending you home. And I, I got a job opportunity back home in Parkland, Florida. And uh, right when I, I arrived home, uh, received a diagnosis for my grandmother who was living with my family at the time that she had three months left to live. She was diagnosed with leukemia. And I love my grandma. I love her to death. And uh, I remember I I moved home, and by the grace of God, I didn't have just uh, a few weeks with her, six weeks with her. I ended up getting three full months with her. And I had breakfast with her as often as I could. And I'd sit down at the table and ask her questions. And I learned so much about her. I learned that uh, she would, when she lived in Puerto Rico as a young girl, they didn't have much. And she would walk to school with no shoes. And at the third grade, she dropped out of school so she could take care of her siblings. Like, how crazy is that? Like, could you imagine having to drop out to take care of your siblings right now? That's crazy. In her late teens, she got married and moved to Connecticut, started a family. Five children, about 20 grandchildren. Yeah, somebody's doing the math like, whoa. And during that time, I, I saw her body begin to deteriorate. And uh, people started to come by the house to say goodbye, uh, their goodbyes, because we had hospice care at the house and what was amazing was it, it began to look like a, a farewell tour. I liken it to uh, Derek Jeter's farewell tour where he went to like every stadium and they were like honoring him before every game. It felt like that, but they were coming to our house. And I started to see people leave her room and they'd be in tears, but it was like joyful tears, which started to weird me out because I'm like, what's happening in there? And I remember I, I had enough boldness one day to ask my my aunt. I said, hey, what's going on? Why are you crying like this? And she said, I just spoke to grandma and uh, out of everything that she said, the biggest thing that like she she wanted to nail in was she wanted to check in my relationship with Christ. That on her way out, before she met, she meets her heavenly father, she wanted to make sure that those in our family knew that that's what she was clinging to, that that's the best thing that she had ever done in her life. And it's a very different walk of life than Paul turning into Saul or Saul turning into Paul It's so different. She didn't have a big education. She didn't have money. She didn't have, she didn't live half the life that Paul did, but she said the same thing. The greatest thing that I had ever done in my life is no Jesus. And that's what the call to action is today. For you to be able to say, I've made it, but only because you've met him. That's what the Lord wants from you. He doesn't want a show. He doesn't want. Anything else besides your life, you fully surrendered, authentic, to a God who, who made you that way. And so it goes beyond high school, it goes beyond middle, it goes beyond college, it goes beyond getting married. It's a you and Jesus thing. That when everything comes crashing down, it's just you and Jesus and you still got everything that you could ever want. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? If you're in here today and maybe it's been a while since you met with Jesus, or maybe it hasn't, and you just feel like you need that opportunity to, to step into the gap and say, Lord, I wanna meet with you again. I won't make this a long and elaborate call, but if you're there and you're just like, man, yes, I need my validation from him. I need my place of belonging to be from him. I need my rest to be from him and not the things of this world. And that's when I could say I've made it because I met him. If that's you and you want to meet him today, on the count of three, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask that, uh, actually, before we do that, what I'll do is I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet in a moment, in a moment. And as you stand to your feet, if that's you and you do want to come down and meet with Jesus, we're gonna have some leaders here at the altar that are gonna be ready to pray for you. So my college leaders and any of our, our lay ministers or leaders from the main sanctuary, our prayer leaders, um, you can come on down and you'll be prayed for as well. But if you just wanna worship or if you just wanna pray, we're gonna open this opportunity in just a moment. And some of you are like, what, this Puerto Rican guy invited me down to the front at a Baptist church? Yeah. Why? Because there's nothing better than meeting with him, even in a room filled with other people. There's nothing better than saying, I'm willing to actually just get out of my chair and walk to that physical location that's only 20 feet away to say, God, I'm willing to even do this to meet with you. And he'll meet you. Maybe you can't get out of your chair today. He'll meet you right in your chair. You just got to ask. So I'm going to pray, and as soon as I say, "Amen," I'm just going to ask for everyone to stand to your feet at that point. And if that's you, you can come on down. And so, Father, we thank you for today. More than today, we thank you for you. Thank you that uh, we have an opportunity every day to meet with you. And Lord, forgive us for where we've taken that for granted, for where we've gotten up, let our feet hit the floor, and we just took off. Because we're busy people. But Father, I pray that we wouldn't be too busy to ever not meet with you. And so, Lord, may it be the new priority after today. From the youngest to the oldest in the room. From the most experienced to the brand new person that maybe just walked in today for their first time. Lord, I pray that you'd be our priority. That our hunger for you would, uh, would grow that our desire to really know you and not just dip in and dip out, not just to to do a quick drive-through experience with you, that we would sit and linger and that you'd speak to us through your word and that you'd speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, do more in these next few moments in this altar than we could ever imagine. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.